you have your Bibles, I want to direct your attention to the Old Testament. This morning we're going to Second Chronicles, chapter 33. My wife was talking about Chronicles. She's been reading in Chronicles on the way down to church today. And she said, she said Chronicles is fun, isn't it? And I, I laughed. I said, no, it isn't. And of course, she was being cynical when she said it, you know, because it's so full of genealogies. But every once in a while, you do get something good out of Chronicles. And I've had some great messages given to me from the Lord out of, the, out of this book. So, uh, you know, things are worth reading, even if it seems boring. But I want to direct your attention to 2 Chronicles chapter 33, and we're going to be reading verses 18 and 19 for starters this morning. The Bible says, And now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and his prayer unto his God, and the words of the seers that spoke to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel. His prayer also, and how God was entreated of him, in all of his sins and his trespass and the places wherein he built high places and set up groves and graven images before he was humbled, behold, they are written in the sayings of the seers. Let's pray. Lord, in Jesus' name, God, undertake today, God, that this word go forth and not return void. And even as it is preached, O oh Lord God, if it should go out, Lord God, to the world by way of the Internet, Lord God, I pray for the people that hear it, Lord God, that they would have faith in God and turn to the Lord, Lord, before it is too late, that they would give their hearts to you, Jesus, while there is yet time, in Jesus' name, amen. Shake a few hands, greet somebody as you're being seated this morning. I want to talk to you on this subject this morning, a sinner's prayer. And I might like to say at the outset that this message was laid on my heart this morning in prayer. I had planned on preaching something else last night, but I felt to do this. And it may be that this message was intended for someone who is not here. But it may also as well be intended for those that are here. Only God knows. There is an old gospel hymn that sings, Yes, I know, yes, I know, Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. And I know, yes, I know, Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. I want to talk to you about the power of Jesus to save a soul. And how you can experience that freedom which his salvation offers you today. And to do so, we're going to have to take a look at an amazing answer to a sinner's prayer in the life of one of Israel's most wicked kings. But before we do that, let's consider another case that is almost as amazing. And I'm talking to you about a man whose name is William Murray. <coughs> Madeline Murray O'Hare. Does that name ring a bell with anyone? Madeline Murray O'Hare despised Christians. 
She once wrote in her diary that she wanted to humiliate Billy Graham on television for money. She was a devout Marxist who unsuccessfully tried to move with her two sons to the Soviet Union. She was infuriated to find that the Lord's Prayer was prayed and the Bible was read at Williams School, and she took legal action that changed the course of U.S. history. Her lawsuit eventually led to a 1963 Supreme Court ruling outlawing prayer in public schools. And as a young adult, still an atheist, her son William became a wealthy businessman who pursued worldly pleasures almost to his demise. In the beginning, sin always feels good, he said. The problem is it winds up being destructive. He wound up in a 12-step program and was stunned when the first meeting he attended ended with, of all things, the Lord's Prayer. Immediately, he wondered if it might be the key to his rescue. Thus began a year-long journey to Jesus. A book inspired him to read the Gospel of Luke and later Matthew and Mark, which convinced him that Jesus was the answer. It was in one of these moments, in that realization, that I got down on my knees and asked him into my heart, as my Lord and Savior William said. His mother subsequently disowned him, saying one could call this a postnatal abortion on the part of a mother. I repudiate him entirely and completely for now and all times. Unabated, William since has spent more than 30 years serving the Lord, regularly taking a stand for biblical values and religious freedoms in Washington. His autobiography, My Life Without God, has touched the countless lives of others for Jesus Christ. In an amazing uh, uh, epilogue to the story, William, uh, uh, Madeline Murray O'Hare and her other son that did not convert to Christianity disappeared from their home in Texas. Uh, they, uh, breakfast had been served and, and plates with food were still on them. They disappeared completely. No one ever saw them or heard of them again. And months went by and police investigations went by. And it would be many years before finally a confessed felon who was in prison was confessing to some things that he had done and it was discovered and found out that Madeline Murray's organizational treasurer who kept the treasury and the account books for her atheist organization, took, came into the house and abducted her and her son and held them for ransom for money. And when it was not going to be forthcoming, he killed them and buried them on a ranch in Texas, somewhere than an abandoned ranch in Texas. And their bodies lay in the sand and dirt of Texas for years before finally the crime was brought to light and their bones were uncovered. What an amazing thing. But it is wonderful to think how that in the midst of such a thing, a family, and taking such a stand as was taken, that there was a way for Jesus Christ to get in through all that hardness and that crust and that training, and that exterior meanness to our God. Amen. And, and bring one of the sons out of that situation. 
Lee Strobel was an atheist and a journalist. And he fell in love with a woman and married her who became a Christian or was a Christian. And over time and over many discussions, he eventually studied the Gospels in order to try to refute the claims of Christ so he could prove to his wife the Bible was wrong, but the more he read the Scripture, the more he could be convinced, amen, that it was truthful and that the accounts of Jesus were truthful and correct, and he converted and came to Jesus Christ. One of the greatest defenders of uh, apologists for modern-day Christianity is a man whose name is C.S. Lewis. You may associate him with uh, the Narnia Chronicles and other writings that he wrote. But he was once an atheist who turned Christian and became one of Christendom's key figures of the past century, an apologist for Jesus Christ and for the gospel. What about the Roe in Roe versus Wade? That young woman, pregnant out of wedlock, who was counseled by a pro-abortion group that wanted to use her case as a test case to go to the Supreme Court and accomplish legislation that would permit abortions to take place legally in America. They used her, and they won in 1973 in the famous Roe v. Wade case of the Supreme Court, which made abortion legal in the United States. Since that time, as she grew up and grew older, she also converted to Jesus Christ and for all the remaining years of her life, she has spent traveling the country giving her testimony <clears throat> how she had been tricked, cajoled, and pushed into that case and doing everything in her power to, to try to bring about a reversal of that infamous Roe v. Wade decision by the Supreme Court. God has a way. He has a way to make the vilest sinner clean. He has a way to break through what seems impossible and to help people to reverse wrong decisions in their life and bring them full circle to salvation. Who was King Manasseh? And why is his story so miraculous? Let's take a little time and read in Second Chronicles chapter 33, beginning with verse 7. And let's see what this king was like. The Bible says he set a carved image, the idol, which he had made in the house of God, which God had said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen before all the tribes of Israel, will I put my name forever. Verse 9. So Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err and do worse than the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And God spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken. Wherefore the Lord brought upon him upon them the captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed unto him and was entreated of him and heard his supplication. And he brought him again to Jerusalem and into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God. 
Our text of Scripture says, Now the rest of the Acts of Manasseh and his prayer to God. The words that the seer spoke to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel. Behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel. His prayer also, and how God was entreated of him, and all of his sins and his trespasses, and the places wherein he built high places, and set up groves and graven images <clears throat> before he was humbled. They are written among the sayings of the seers. So who was this Manasseh? Manasseh was the son of one of the good kings in Israel, King Hezekiah. You'll know the story of King Hezekiah, whose righteous rule brought spiritual form to, to Jerusalem, and his reign was long and prosperous because of his righteousness and his righteous reform. It resulted even in divine intervention. Uh, in his war with the Assyrian king, Sennacherib, who came to destroy Jerusalem. Sennacherib's armies of 180,000 surrounded the city and cut it off. And he sent a letter to King Hezekiah and told him that he must submit or die or all Jerusalem would be destroyed. Hezekiah went and took the letter to the house of God and laid it on the altar and prayed over it and said, God... Here's what this heathen pagan has said he's going to do to your city, to your king, and to your house, to your throne, your temple. God said, don't worry. Sent the prophet and said, don't worry about this guy. I will take care of him. And God did, and he sent a death angel, and a plague came upon the armies of the Assyrians and wiped them out. And Sennacherib had to return home without victory and without an army. And when he got back to his palace... His sons rose up in a coup d'etat and killed him. And that was the end of that threat. Hezekiah made the famous Hezekiah's Tunnel. That is from the Gihon Spring, the only spring that is the water source for Jerusalem. And carved it through the rock from two different directions. The carvers worked through the bedrock of the mountain of Jerusalem. And they could hear the sounds of the picks and hammers through the rock. And as they got closer to each other, the sounds grew louder, and that's how they knew that they were going to meet one another. And that tunnel still exists today, and if you want to get wet and muddy and you travel to Jerusalem, you can crawl along in that tunnel uh, that Hezekiah built in preparation for this difficult time with Sennacherib. So what I want to tell you is that a man of God, a king... A righteous reformer had the power of God and the anointing and the glory of God and the protection of God upon him in the face of the Middle Eastern's most powerful empire of the time. And God saved that little kingdom from ultimate destruction because God is bigger than your enemy. He's bigger than your threat. He's bigger than your anxiety. He's bigger than your fear. He's bigger than your worry. He's bigger than your trouble. Manasseh, his son, was raised in a God-fearing court, in a God-fearing home and tradition, so he should have known better than what he did. Manasseh, the prodigal king of the Old Testament, was overwhelmed by Assyrian forces in the 23rd year of his reign. He was taken prisoner to Babylon. He had tried to escape and he was caught in the thorns where he was hiding kind of like Burr Rabbit who was hiding from Burr Fox in the pricker bushes you know and finally would sing out from the tall mountain after he had gotten away from the great threat of the tar baby 
Born and bred in the briar patch, Burr Fox. Born and bred in the briar patch. Well, Manassas was not so fortunate as Burr Fox, and he did not get away. And uh, the king of Babylon captured him there where he had had gone cowering and trembling. And he was in Babylon, in prison there for 12 years. And during that time of prison, he turned back to the God of his father. It's an amazing thing. Manasseh was not born a pagan. He wasn't born a heathen. He was born a Judahite with the tradition of a God-fearing king and father. And so what he did to insult and infuriate God, horrible things that he did, he should have known better. And in fact, he did know better because you don't come back to something that you were raised and trained to be unless you know in your heart of hearts that it is the right way to go. And so in those 12 years, he sought God. I don't think it was in the 12th year that he sought God. I think he was calling out to God while he was in the pricker bush. I think he was calling out to God from the moment he got to Babylon. I believe he was humbling himself before the Lord all that time he was in Babylon. When it seemed like God didn't hear him. When it seemed like God never would hear him. When it seemed like God was so far from him because of all the wicked things he had done that he would never hear him, never save him. That he was an impossibility to be saved. In all that time, he humbles himself and cries out to God for mercy. Save me, God. Save me, save me. God did hear his prayer after 12 years and restored his freedom and his kingdom. What an amazing God we serve. Hard to imagine the offense and the insult that God suffered at this man. An idol he made with his own hands. He puts it in the high place of God where the Ark of the Covenant ought to be. In the house of God. Everything forbidden by God, he dared to do. Anything that was against the Word of God, he dared to do it. Uh, God was not scaring him. God did not cause him to pause or be fearful. He dared to insult God in every way he could. And yet when he was broken, he knew to turn to God. And the amazing thing about God is his capacity to forgive us lost sinners. Nothing is impossible with God. And so for the next 20 years left him, he sought to undo the wrongs of his past. His long reign of 55 years, the longest in Jewish history, closed not inauspiciously. He died a penitent and left a son who followed his father in his sins, but not in his repentance. So once again, his son would go astray, but would not come back. Gathering together what we can of Manasseh's life, here's what we know of this man and his policies. First of all, his imperial policy was one of idolatry. He hated the first two commandments of the Ten Commandments, and he reversed the reforms of his father that his father had painstakingly made in, in Judah to get rid of the idols and the altars. He reversed all of those things. And he was exceedingly bold in his idolatry. He has a policy of immorality. Idolatry and immorality go together. Thus, in rejecting God, there came the worship of the Syrian Venus, a fertility cult and fertility goddess, 
in this action let loose a flood of iniquity over the land of Judah, in part and in policy uh, of this worship of this female deity, recognizing in her the source of life and human life, was to give back your eldest son to this idol. And the way they did it was burn their children in fire, their babies. He did that against God. Burned his babies in the fire to give them back to this God. What wickedness he dared to do. His policy of persecution. Manasseh allowed nothing to stand in the way of license and open evil. A part of this religion that he was introducing, this fertility cult, was the introduction of promiscuous human behavior throughout the land. Everything and anything that two people can think of to do was permitted to do in the name of worship in this God. And he was a leader in this pact. Nothing stood in the way of this sin. And martyrdom was the cost of service. Idolatry was set up under the pain of death. If you didn't conform to his idolatrous practices, if you didn't bow the knees to his veils and to his false gods, you would suffer martyrdom for it. He killed a lot of people in Jerusalem to enforce the reversal of his father's religious reform. His policy of destruction, as far as he could, he destroyed the word of God. Every copy that was found was confined, consigned to the flames. God's truth testified too plainly against the sins of the king and the people. So complete was his destruction of the word of God that when Josiah, his grandson, came to the throne... It was a fortunate day when a single copy of it was found somewhere, dust covering it in the temple of God, and they came rejoicing and saying, We have found a copy of the Word of God. But Manasseh's eyes were open to his sinful condition, and he sobbed out the misery of his helpless and craven soul. And the occasion of his repentance was affliction. Affliction put him in the state of repentance being in trouble brought him to the altar being knocked down put him to a place where he opened up his heart to God being stuck with his back to the wall being caught in a corner with an enemy in front of him and nowhere to go was what brought him to a place in the prison house of Babylon he prayed And as to the character of his repentance, he besought the Lord and he humbled himself before the God of his fathers. And he prayed to him, penniless and penitent. His cry for mercy came from a broken heart. And God graciously received this prodigal king. Hallelujah. God is an amazing God. And this is an amazing sinner's prayer that gets answered in an amazing way. I want to tell you this morning that there is one prayer God will never refuse to answer. Many prayers we may make and we don't know whether God hears us sometimes. By faith we believe He does. But when we don't see the answer come after long days of praying, we may sometimes wonder and question whether or not that prayer was heard of God or whether or not that prayer had value with God. I no longer believe God doesn't hear my prayers, 
But if they don't get answered, sometimes I think that maybe I'm praying the wrong prayers and that prayer doesn't have value with God. And he can pick and choose which of my prayers he wants to answer. And if I am on the deathbed and I pray for life and God doesn't choose to give me life, I'm trusting God knows the right way for me. And that if I got what I wanted, I might fall away from Him. So, some prayers don't have as much value as others. But there is one prayer God will never refuse to answer. And that is the contrite prayer of a sinner whose heart is calling out to God for salvation. Here's what I came to tell you. It doesn't matter where you are, where you stand, where you've been, what you've done. Hallelujah. Satan will tell you it's impossible for you to find salvation. Don't darken the door of God's house. The roof might fall in. You're so bad and wicked. But I came to tell you that if you will cry out to God out of a contrite heart and a repented spirit. That is a prayer he will not refuse to answer. He hears every sinner's prayer. Everyone. And you know why I know that? Because he came to this earth and and died and gave the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, Amen, on the cross of Calvary. And spilled that precious blood just to save a sinner. Just to save the lost. And if somebody knows they're lost and cries out to God, it doesn't matter how lost they are, God hears that prayer. He hears that prayer. Hallelujah. Now there's some factors I want to bring out here. God does use corrective discipline. To guide us and to lead us. He will discipline us. And that discipline is often painful. But God follows his own advice. You know, he chastens whom he loves. If he advised parents that they spare the rod, the child will be spoiled. He himself will follow his own advice. And when we stray from his way, don't wonder at falling in trouble. Don't wonder at getting in a hard place. Don't wonder that your life falls apart. Amen. God will allow it to happen to you to bring you to a place where you can cry out to God. Manasseh strayed far from God. As far as he could think of going, he went. He did everything he could think of doing in the face of God. But God was not through with him. If it had been you and me, we would have said, I'm done with them. They'll never be saved. They'll never be coming back again. They're finished. But God said, I'm not done with that man. He thinks he's bad enough to take me on. But before I'm finished, I'm going to bring him to his knees. And he's going to repent before all of Judah. And I'm going to restore him as king. And he's going to give me credit for it all the days of his life. Hallelujah. Job 5, 17 through 19 says, Consider yourself fortunate if God all-powerful chooses to correct you. He may cause injury and pain, but he, will, but, but he will bandage and heal your cuts and bruises. God will protect you from harm no matter how often trouble may strike. Contemporary English version. Again, in Job 11, 13 through 19, Surrender your heart to God, turn to Him in prayer, and give up your sins, even those you do in secret. 
You won't be ashamed and you will be confident and fearless. Your troubles will go away like water beneath the bridge and your darkest night will be brighter than noon. You will rest safe and secure, filled with hope and emptied of worry. You will sleep without fear and be greatly respected. Anybody need that? Anybody need that confidence? Here's the path to it. Here's the way to get all of those benefits. Surrender your heart to God. Turn to Him in prayer. Give up your sins, even those you do in secret. And you'll start to reap the benefits. Amen. God will begin to bless you and restore you and lift you up. Again, in Proverbs 62, 5 and 6, contemporary English version. Only God gives inward peace and I depend on Him. God alone is the mighty rock that keeps me safe. He is the fortress where I feel secure. A sinner's heart is not a heart filled with peace. The Bible says there is no peace for the wicked. It is a terrible, dark place to live in sin and wickedness and to know it and to be bound by it and to be trapped by it like a mouse in a trap caught and feeling like life has maneuvered me into a place where I'm living a wrong life I was never meant nor intended to live. But here I am, stuck in a rut, caught in a trap. I live in sin. Oh, if only God can help me. He is not too far from any of us. He can help us if we'll do the right thing, which is turn to Him and confess our fault and sin. Job said in 5 verse 11, contemporary English version, He protects the sorrowful and lifts up those who have been disgraced. He's able to reverse all of that. All that went to your bad credit. All of that, all of that yielded your bad reputation. Manasseh had a foul, evil reputation. And he had the blood of hundreds of God's people on his hands. Nobody could really love him for what he did. But in the end of his days, he walked around humbled, his head down, his heart heavy. Amen. A sinner's prayer, a repentant prayer, always on his lips. If you want to avoid your secret sin, go to God every day and confess to Him that without Him you cannot survive, you cannot make it. Only He can help you. And you give your heart and life to Him this day. And all of your actions you put in His trust and care. And He will help you. He will help you. The spiritual power of brokenness and humility. There's great power in it. Proverbs 15 and 23 says, The sacrifice that honors me is a thankful heart. Obey me, and I, your God, will show my power to save. He comes to save us. He comes to bring us back. I hold up for you again the example of a man who was as wicked as he could be when he knew better. And yet God turned him, restored him, gave him back what he forfeited by his sins, built his throne, brought him back to Jerusalem, gave him his position, his house, and honor again. God is able to do that for anyone. Finally, we need to seek God with faith. Seek Him with faith. Book of Acts, 
chapter 17, beginning with verse 22. <clears throat> then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill. And he said, you men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you're too superstitious. For as I passed by, I beheld your devotions, and I found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. Whom therefore you ignorantly worship him, declare I unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven, and earth dwelleth not in the temples made with hands. Neither is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth in all life, breath, and in all things. And he hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell upon the face of the earth, and hath determined the times of before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they may feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Consider for a moment where he was. In Greece, in Athens, on Mars Hill. The pagan forum of the ancient world. One of the highest places of high education and scholarship and knowledge that one could have. The Harvard University or the Cambridge, if you will, of the New Testament time period. And he was speaking to highly educated men. And he told them that God of one blood had made all nations and had given them their national boundaries, and had put them everywhere that they were upon the earth, and that he was a God that could not be worshipped by men's hands or by idols or anything that men could do, but if they would seek after him, they would find him happily, happily, by chance. Amen. It is only by chance when we take the chance. Some people are saved by accident. They get saved because someone else that was seeking salvation got it first and introduced them to the Lord. Your husband or your wife may have been the first one that got saved. You weren't looking for God, but yet you came to the Lord. As a result of the chaste conversation of your wife coupled with fear or the chaste behavior of your God-fearing husband who turned to the Lord and introduced you to salvation. Your children may have started in the world of sin, but now they're brought into the church. And uh, they are introduced to the Lord because you found God. They weren't looking for Him, but they got the benefit out of you having come to the Lord. But here's the point. God put everybody everywhere in the world... And there are some that he planted in Israel. And there are some that were the seed of Abraham. And some that remained in Judah. And some that had the word of God straight from the mouth of God in heaven. Written on tables of stone and on parchment and in books. And they had all the advantages that they could have. And some of them, with all the advantages they had, rejected the very truth that was found contained in those scriptures. But God, being no respecter of person looked around the world and his heart, the Bible says the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth to seek him whose heart is perfect toward the Lord. And so God knows everybody everywhere. Hallelujah. Amen. And if we will by chance seek after him, if we will by chance look for him, 
He will be found. Even though we're only doing it by chance, He will be found. Amen. Because He hears the sinner's prayer. Let's stand and worship the Lord. Let's stand together. I'm closing. Closing. Hallelujah. Amen. I want to talk to you. And I'm closing. Musicians can come and get ready. I'll be done in two minutes. There's many kinds of faith, but two of them I want to talk to you about is educated faith and inspired faith. Educated faith, faith that you train yourself to have. Faith that by reason of experience you have proven that you ought to have. The Bible in every word in it can educate our faith. And when we take a stand on Scripture... If we were to believe the scripture that says by his stripes we are healed and take a stand to be prayed for, that's on the basis of educated faith. If we were to follow the scripture that says if any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them anoint with oil and pray the prayer of faith over him and the Lord shall save the sick and raise him up. If we know the scripture and come forward for prayer, that's educated faith. If, if we at some point in our life have had a situation where God helped us to understand that His Word was correct. He proved Himself to us. And so we know for, 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 for forever, for that situation, for that issue, God is in charge. That's educated faith. But there's another kind of a faith. It's a great faith. It's an inspired faith. An inspired faith. Amen. That kind of faith that you didn't have, but suddenly it came out of nowhere. An inspired faith. The kind of faith that would say to the, this, cause the centurion to say, Jesus, don't even come to my house, for I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. Just speak the word and my servant will be here. Healed. The kind of faith that said to a woman with an issue of blood, if you could just touch the hem of his garment, you will be healed. Amen. The kind of faith, amen, that in a moment says, I believe something can happen for me. It will happen for me. And for the sinner, there is such a thing as inspired faith. Amen. From that moment when conviction is upon your soul and you realize that Jesus Christ indeed is the only answer for you and you have not made proper propitiation for your sins, you have not I've brought yourself to Him and given yourself. But if you trust and believe that He can save you and will save you, that inspired faith that causes the sinner to cry out to God. It comes in a moment of great spiritual crisis when you realize and know that you are lost and only Jesus can save you from your lostness. If you surrender your heart in that moment, God can save you. For those who may struggle with bondage to sin, you're bound in sin. You have not been able to break free. You're pushed and caught in a corner. Life has you bound. And you're in a place where sin will not let go of you. I'm here to tell you, hallelujah, amen, that if you will come trembling and believing that Jesus Christ can deliver you because you want to be free, because you don't want to be bound. I'm talking about a faith a man in a sinner's heart where that sinner is suddenly world weary you are world weary you're tired of the world you're tired of sin and its bondage you're tired of that old nature and that old man and you desperately want and crave a change and that is the place where you're going to get your change. And this is a service where that can take place. That inspired faith that brings you crying out to God in prayer. 
You need to be ready for change. And you need to want it. And if you do, you can receive forgiveness today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's call out to the Lord in prayer right now. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. God, save us. Bring us to your house. Bring our hearts to the place where you can change and touch our lives. Oh, Lord God, we need you today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.